0: today is Friday August 13th 2021 I'm Alexandra McMahon and this is citycast Denver all right we're back it's another Friday Friday the 13th actually so uh happy Friday the 13th and uh, Bree Davies is here Hi Bree Hi. And we have a guest today with us, Kaylin Heffernan. Hi, Kaylin. Hi. Um, Kaylin, do you want to introduce yourself? Like, just talk about the many, many things that you do around
1: Denver for people who don't know? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm a man of many hats. I am mostly a rapper, and I it got me... Into educating and activism and protesting and performance art and politics and, yeah, all the things. (laughs) Um, Great. Well, and one of the
0: other projects that you have worked on for the last couple years, which is part of the reason why we wanted to have you on today, is uh, you have a, a room at Meow Wolf. I'm an immersive artist
1: now, too. I forgot to add that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, just just keep adding on. Emotion. <laughs> well, Brie and I, we got to go down and, and check out Meow Wolf this week, and we're going to have that story out next week. Um, but we wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive into what Meow Wolf coming to Denver means, especially now that we're a little more than a month out from its opening on September 17th. Uh, and in case you're like, what the heck is Meow Wolf? Here's a real quick recap. Meow Wolf is this giant immersive art experience that originated in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So it's like rooms of amazing artwork that's often interactive. It's also a music venue. Uh, And so it was announced in early 2018 that Meow Wolf would open a new location in Denver and thus employed more than 100 local artists to create Convergence Station. That's the name of Denver's Meow Wolf that was announced earlier this month. And that brings us to today. So Bree, I'm going to let you and Kaylin take it away because you both know way more about Meow Wolf and its connection to Denver than I do. Well, we have, I feel like uh,
2: we have a long, not history with Meow Wolf, but Kaylin and I have both been connected to the the DIY art world where Meow Wolf originated. Um, Kaylin, can you talk about how you got involved with the Denver edition of Meow Wolf and, and got, and I mean, I know you, prop- you have to make a proposal to get a room and installation, but what was your connection or work with Meow Wolf prior to?
1: Yeah. So um, we played wheelchair sports camp played pretty early on. We played a show in Santa Fe uh, pretty shortly after they had opened and had a blast. They welcomed us. With open arms and let us explore, and I was surprised at how inaccessible it was. Um, how much the the meow wolf
2: itself, the space was inaccessible to you as a as a person who uses a wheelchair. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I that that was kind of my entry point um, into to meow wolf was like hey, that was fun, um, let me help you make this more accessible. But it, it was only a few months later that we started hearing that like Denver was probably next. And then there was a private um, invite-only discussion with the big team of Meow Wolf that I was invited to when they had their first conversation about, hey, we're exploring Denver as our next place um, to land. And so I asked in front of everybody, like, what's up with your accessibility? Is it going to be more accessible? And again, they were like, oh, we know we messed up, you know, and we want to make it right. In fact, we even want to have a room that's only for uh, disabled folks and not accessible. Uh, Somebody was like, oh, but we haven't figured it out yet. And I was like, oh, interesting. Do you have disabled artists? working on that yeah and uh i feel like i got yeah, i got the job then and so uh we were invited to the the first group of proposals that was invite only for
2: artists for installations
1: correct um we proposed a room that uh greg uh drummer from Wiltshire sports camp has been concepting before he was even the, in the band which is like a room built for me and not for him. Because he's an able,
2: he's an person. He's my husband, also.
1: <laughs> uh, most of times.
2: Sometimes he's my husband. Most of the time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and, and so yeah, we were really trying to, to get this room that we've been we did it on green screen. We've done it um, on our CD artwork, uh, but we're like, cool. Now we can really build it, and then. We wanted the full, the ceilings to be five foot five because that was tall enough to get a tall power wheelchair in it. Um, and turns out that would not be accessible. <laughs> so.
2: so in order to make this room that sort of the, the vision was, like you're saying, you've created it in previous artwork, you've rendered it in other places, a room that is only accessible to most folks with disabilities, not accessible to the average abled person. But then it turns out you can't really make that room because it, then it essentially becomes inaccessible.
1: And then we got a room with 15 foot ceilings instead of five and a half. Yeah, so so what we ended up doing is making the bottom half more like for me and for wheelchair users. And then um, the top half of the room is out of reach to um, the average sized person, which gives my perspective. Um, so we built a wheelchair space kitchen time portal and my kitchen and we used my kitchen as an example, a lot. And we use the rhinoceropolis, um, kitchen as, um, inspiration as well. Kind of have a little bit of both perspectives, like a place built for us and then a place that's like not built for the average person.
2: And you brought up rhinoceropolis, which, uh, is a performance space here in Denver Um, that's been around for over a decade. It also was a long time, for a long time was a home for artists. Um, Upwards of 12 people could live there at one time. It was sort of a nondescript building off of Brighton Boulevard um, where really amazing stuff happened. And I mean, every live performances of any kind, performance art, music, plays, I mean, just wild experiences were happening. And there's a connection here in Denver between the folks that started Meow Wolf and the Rhinoceropolis crew of artists too. And I was actually, when we were at Meow Wolf yesterday, I was talking to um, artist and uh, filmmaker Kim Shively about it. Um, The connection, like before Meow Wolf, the the, uh, experience that you can go to now in Santa Fe existed, they were doing other projects. They were really a DIY art collective. And um, a couple of them had come to Denver a few times for an event at Rhinoceropolis called Fantasia, which was an immersive art experience (laughs) before immersive art experiences were really popular. But I'm I'm bringing this up because I'm thinking about so once Meow Wolf has made the decision they're going to come to Denver, there was this party to sort of celebrate, like you know one of they'd done a couple events to kind of get you know get word out there, people are talking about it, get artists in the room with other politicians and all kinds of people and we you and i were at a meow wolf party um with a lot a lot of rhinoceropolis artists were there but also we ran into um former councilman alvis brooks and the former head of planning brad buchanan what had happened was prior to this party around the same time that meow wolf was making these decisions to come to denver um in 2016 the Ghost ship fire happened in Oakland, um, where a very similar DIY space burned down and dozens of people were killed. And in response to that, cities like Denver just started shutting, mass shutting down art spaces that resembled this out of, of supposed concern over fire code issues. And that happened in Albus Brooks District. So there's this DIY space doing exactly what Meow Wolf is doing on a sort of quote-unquote illegal level, gets shut down, and then he shows up at this party for the corporate version of DIY that's essentially happening, or the evolution, I would say, because Meow Wolf began in that space. But you were really, you and I were really mad. You were super mad. Um, can you talk about the confrontation sort of that you had with Albus about what was happening in the city at that time with DIY?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, watching, I mean, that was a devastating loss to the DIY community, the ghost ship fire, obviously, and then for it to immediately be followed by um, the eviction of our friends um, on a cold night, and it's just so obtrusive and awful, It's, (laughs) it's almost like, like nine eleven happened and then boom we're in two wars. You know, it's like this devastating thing happens in Oakland and now all the other places are just getting like ransacked and it really became this witch hunt, um, for DIY venues, which like, you know, the city knew that Rhinoceropolis was opening or er, running it did- it had been inspected by the fire department every
2: year, every six months for ten years. It was in. It was very clear that it existed.
1: And you know, as we know, with DIY venues is like there's always a, they're always looking for a reason to, to uh, shut it down so that they can prop up the people that are paying the city, such as Live Nation AG. Anyway, so like, yeah, it was a devastating like time. And then, yeah, Wolf is coming, and and there's all these weird feelings as being an artist included in that, and then also, like, the effects of our city and on our city. And so uh, the first person that we saw when we came was Colin Ward, who was one of those artists that was evicted, who was the artist that had Fantasia that inspired the entire Meow Wolf Mecca, um, and...
2: And Colin was evicted from Rhinoceropolis.
1: Correct. And he had been houseless since that eviction. So here he is out front smoking cigarettes, and I'm like, oh, it's so good to see you, you know? Like, I didn't feel... I knew that I was in the right place by seeing him first and hugging him first, and, um... You know, even being part of the wolf and and him being part of it made me feel like, okay,
0: <laughs> this isn't
1: all bad. You know, like we're we're gonna do it, and uh, and then we're in there, and you're like, I can't believe that this guy's here. That Albus
2: that Alvis is here. Yeah. After and I'm the- like, no,
1: where? Remember me? And you are like, where is he? We're like, we're on a witch hunt for Albus Brooks. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? Am I going to, like, accidentally run into him? I don't know. I was, like, trying to figure out all these scenarios at how I'm going to talk to this dude um, and cuss him out at a party and still, like, keep it together. And then as, fi- as soon as we saw him he was headed straight from the bathroom to the door, the front door to leave. So I chased him, and they were shutting the door on me. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. And I like put my chair in the door to make them open it for me. And that's what I was like, what are you doing here, dude? And he's like, well, what are I really excited about Meowth? I was like, oh, why? Because they have $50 million? Like, do you realize that? the people inside of there are the same people you evicting and that like you haven't done anything for. And we just had this kind of heated argument and they're like, Oh, we need, we need to build the trust of artists. And I'm like, you think we're going to trust you? You think you're going to show up in this cowboy hat to a $50 million art party. And we know you've never showed up to any other local art parties and you want us to trust you? Like, that's not how this works you know oh we started a commission and we did this and we're doing that and i'm like guess what we still know who you are we know your relationships like if you want trust you can't just like show up and act like please trust us you know like your actions have never shown that and we're never gonna trust you unless you start giving us a reason to trust you um yeah. So F you, and I hope you get home
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now Alvis works for a construction and development company. He is. <laughs> but I think I just wanted you to tell that story because it um, shows this, explores the dichotomy that a lot of artists are experiencing with the um, sort of landing of Meow Wolf in Denver. It's a big deal. It's a big opportunity. Um, like you're saying, you you have a room in it. You got paid to create something. Um, a lot of our friends are being employed by my by Meow Wolf. Um, They're getting things like benefits and, you know, like money, like getting guaranteed money, when artists for a long time have not been able to have guaranteed incomes in the city. So it's, it's complicated, it's just so much more complicated than this cool thing came from Santa Fe, and now we have it. You know, I I just wanted to, I wanted you to share that story, because I think you are a great um, example of, how the push and pull of being an artist and making these decisions, like how do I do my art, stick to my guns, you know, stay with my ethos, but also take opportunities
1: when they arise. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky. And I mean, it's, it, it's the politics of everything, you know, like it's politics itself. It's art itself. It's like, how do we, um, survive under capitalism and also like how do we keep our integrity and i knew that um it's not it's still gonna be messy it's gonna be hard and honestly like 50 million dollars it's now what how many million dollar project is that? i think it's past it's,
2: 50. oh yeah it's i mean it's huge they built an original building from the ground up and i think what you're saying is like it's messy in that um Many companies come to Denver and build massive projects and in the middle of communities. This is not uncommon. But what it is with if I think that makes it special or at least the reason they have to confer with the arts community and communities in general is they're relying on artists to be authentic and they're relying on that authenticity to transfer to them and give them the, the clout and the legitimacy And you can't just come in and do that. You have to be able to connect with the arts community directly and get people's trust. Because if people don't trust you, and I think I'm still on the fence about it myself, even though I know a ton of wonderful people that work there, it still feels like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. It's in the Sun Valley neighborhood, which is our lowest income neighborhood in the city. What's going to happen to the people of Sun Valley when things like developments like this come in? Is that going to fundamentally change the fabric of their built environment?
1: And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot too. Is like, obviously Sun Valley, and it's like, okay, well, who sold the lot first? Was it Meow Wolf or the people that sold the 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 Elitch's parking lot now to be how many condos? Right. You know, like that neighborhood has been, and you know this way more than me as a city planner. That neighborhood has been planned. To be gentrified and slipped and redeveloped as, say, for 10, 15 years, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's starting to happen. And that's where artists really examine their role in that, too.
1: You know what I mean? Like, for me to, like, boycott uh, Meow Wolf or for me to, like, not be a part of Meow Wolf because I know it's going to have an impact on that community would I I don't know how to do that because that that community has already been sold
2: yeah well and it would honestly it would close the door on the thing that I kind of want to bring this back to to close it up is the accessibility component of the building itself if you weren't involved in it maybe if those conversations weren't happening those thoughts wouldn't have been in process and I went to the I went to Meow Wolf yesterday. There's elevator, there's huge elevators everywhere. I'm not saying it's totally accessible. There's still um, exhibits that have stairs, but it's much more accessible than the Santa Fe um, version. And that's because you didn't close that door. You said, I want to have this conversation with you. So we could talk about Meow Wolf, obviously, for a 100 years. <laughs> Exandra, what's next? Okay,
0: we'll move on to next topic. But yes, I'm sure this will be a continuing conversation for uh, at least the next month, probably more than that. Um, So, uh, Kaylin, we like to do this topic on CityCast called New Denver, Old Denver, um, which uh, is just kind of a way for us to slow down, reflect on the change, the the constant change that's happening in Denver. Um, So we we usually bring one thing from the week that we saw or experienced that either reminded us of how denver used to be or how denver is now so uh Bri, do you want to start or should we should we make kaylin start i could start i was just i'm gonna
2: so I, the thing i have is visual i'm gonna share these on twitter um as well but i i got a really nice package from a listener and twitter friend named alan bucknam and he said, he reached out to me and said, I have a, these postcards um, from Kenny B and I just want to send them to you because I think they'll mean something to you. And Kenny B was the staff cartoonist for Westward for a really long time. And um, he did these, he's always done these sort of hilarious political, they're not what you would think of a traditional political cartoon. They're sort of making fun of Denver in A very particular way. Again, I'll share him on Twitter if you're not familiar with Kenny B. But it sort of brought me back to growing up here in Denver and reading Westward, and I always looked for Kenny B.'s cartoons. But he was just sort of he's just sort of a satirist of our city and our politics and our art and the things that we think are cool. And like, um so I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, listener and Twitter friend Alan for sending these awesome postcards to me. And if you don't know who Kenny B is, it's just Kenny B-E. You can Google him and see his work. Um, It's just a little nice little thing to think about um, back when we had things like staff cartoonists at newspapers. (laughs) Kaylin, what what is your New Denver, Old Denver thing?
1: I went to a venue not that long ago that is so New Denver, I was like so uncomfortable and just really uh it's called number 38 and it's literally right by rhinoceropolis it feels like a cafeteria, a beer cafeteria cement warehouse and you can get food uh it's either um like a like pho, ramen, but no, not pho, ramen, uh Asian food and or tacos. Um <laughs> I saw no Asian or Mexican serving the food. Um so I it was actually pretty good. I didn't want to trust it. Um and you you give them your card at the front, and they give you a a ribbon wristband like you would get at a festival now. And it's your tab. So when you leave the building, it cashes you out, which is like genius and creepy as all hell. <laughs> so you have this wristband, and that's how you pay for all your things. And then you leave... Without like cashing out and they cash you out. And then the stage is outdoors in front of these brand new condos that have been uh, consistently complaining about the noise. So now everybody has to wear in-ear monitors. It's not that loud. You know, it was just such as in it. There was fake grass and benches and yo, it is the weirdest thing (laughs) ever. And once again, I have artist friends that work there and are employed there. I have friends that will play there, have played there. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not like all, all or nothing. It's not like I'm never going to go there again, even though.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm sensing some conflictedness in your, yeah, your voice it's conflicting. about this
1: All these things are conflicting, you know, <laughs> but that like change is inevitable. And I've just, I was... I was so baffled that this is the kind of place and experience that New Denver wants.
2: (laughs) So, number 38 is very New Denver. So,
1: New Denver. (laughs) Holy (laughs) wow.
0: Um, Okay. Oh, yeah. Last. All right. Last category Um, staff picks, which this is kind of like. Well, we're going to call Alice in Wonderland a recommendation, a staff pick, because it sounds awesome and we want to hear more about it. So uh, yeah, Bree and Kaylin, do you want to talk about Alice in Wonderland?
2: Yeah. So I want to talk to you, Kaylin, about this because so Alice in Wonderland is um, the play is opening this weekend at Su Teatro. And can you talk about your involvement in this production?
1: Ah, it's opening weekend. Yes, it's been two years in the making. Reagan, the director, who was at the time the artistic director of Family Theatre Company, which is the first and longest all disability theater crew in the country, um, that does some really uh big productions uh with casts of all disabilities. Um she asked me to come to coffee and she Regan Linton, has been wanting to do more original things within families. So she was like, what if we did Alice in Wonderland and you wheelchair sports camp wrote the music?
0: And I was like, "Whoa,
1: I don't even like the musicals. You know? <laughs> I don't even like the musicals. You're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know anything about theater. I've never done theater. So yeah, we had agreed um, shortly after to do it and then Reagan had seen Alice in Wonderland at some theater festival and was like it's way too dry and it's just the original adaptation is just not going to work. I couldn't even get through the script. I Is it boring? It's so boring. Um, <laughs> and just like the language, I don't know the language is very outdated so it's like really hard to like keep up. So then She hit up her her screenplay writer friend. I'm learning a lot of theater terms um, to rewrite, to write an original script. So we we started writing the music, he started writing the script, and both the music and the script were starting to inform each other. Regan started to carve out some, hey, Caterpillar needs a song, French Mouse needs a song. These scenes need soundscapes. It became such a much bigger production on musically um, composition. I mean like we we scored like a real big thing. Uh, it's way different than any wheelchair sports camp record and uh, I'm the Cheshire Cat head every night. So you play the Cheshire Cat's head. The
2: cat is in multiple pieces on stage. So you're part of the this group of performers that's playing the Cheshire Cat.
1: Yeah, it's a 26 person cast, all disabilities, all age ranges, and then all vaccinated except the two youngsters. Uh, yeah, there's a the Cheshire Cat head, tail, and body. They are the tail and body are incredible actors. Everybody's incredible. This is my first time acting. I am like being thrown into theater world in such a big and intense way. And it's been so much fun and such a commitment. Theater people are so committed. Oh, my goodness. They show up. (laughs) Whoa. Five times a week, five nights a week, 13-hour tech days. I can't even believe the amount of commitment that theater people have. So
2: at Su Teatro, you can get tickets through Sioux Teatro. You can also buy the Alice in Wonderland soundtrack, correct, D- download or vinyl through Wheelchair Sports Camp's Bandcamp? Yep. Okay. I'm excited. I'm going to go see it next week. We got tickets. so Yay. I can't wait. Well, Kaylin, thanks for, thanks for telling us all about all the stuff you're working on. Oh, my
1: pleasure. You know, I love talking about myself. <laughs>
2: Oh, so, Xandra, we have one more announcement, right? Yeah,
0: that's true.
2: Okay, so CityCast Denver is going to be doing a live podcast taping at the Underground Music Showcase this year. We're super excited about it. Our event is on Friday, August 27th at 6 p.m. at Mutiny Information Cafe. Uh, we're going to be talking about the quote-unquote diversity in music conversation. Um with my friends uh, Bruce Trujillo from Indie1023 and Swallow Hill, as well as Colorful Colorado Collaborations, and uh, Wes Watkins, a musician, songwriter, singer, human about town. You've seen him, you know him, he's amazing. Um, Miguel Avina from uh, Cali is also going to join us, and we're just going to talk about what the realities are of being musicians and artists of color in a world that all of a sudden is focusing on things like, quote unquote, diversity and equity. What does that really mean for artists? Is there Are we seeing change on the back end of the music industry? Are there changes in who runs venues, who books things, who's getting paid? And I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. That is free. I don't think you have to have a UMS wristband. You can wander into Mutiny Information Cafe. Friday, August 27th, 6pm. Join us. And um, we'll be hanging out afterwards as well. You can meet the CityCast Denver staff uh, team. Sorry, we're a team. We're not a staff. We're very small. And you can come and ask us questions, bring us ideas. Um, but yeah, I'm excited.
1: Woo.
0: That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Alexandra McMahon, and Paul Caroli. Bree Davies is our host. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Twitter at Denver, and tell a friend about us next time you see him. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll see you next week.